Welcome to Fatal Films, a podcast that explores women in horror, thrillers, and mysteries. Each episode focuses on a female-created or female-led story. We are your hosts, Laura Celeste Cannon and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 2023 horror comedy, Megan, directed by Gerard Johnstone, written by Akila Cooper, based on a story by Akila Cooper and James Wan. Megan stars Allison Williams, Violet McGraw, Amy Donald, and Jenna Davis. Started, here is a synopsis. Megan is a marvel of artificial intelligence, a lifelike doll that's programmed to be a child's greatest companion and a parent's greatest ally. Designed by Gemma, a brilliant roboticist, Megan can listen, watch, and learn as it plays the role of friend, teacher, playmate, and protector. When Gemma becomes the unexpected caretaker of her eight-year-old niece, she decides to give the girl a Megan prototype, a decision that leads to unimaginable consequences. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We go in depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, go watch the movie and come back. We'll be waiting. Trigger warnings for this episode are animal death, it is implied but not seen, dog bites, repeated scenes of physical assault, peril, weapons, violence, car accidents, and death. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, (laughs) in case you didn't know that there was death in the killer robot movie. If her using a paper cutting blade as a samurai sword, any indication that someone is getting off, my bad. So it's a little unusual for us to cover a movie this new, but since Megan is Lacey's new religion, we decided to go ahead and um, just jump right in and (laughs) cover it. So this movie came out in 2023, which as of this moment, we are two months into. So here's what's happened just for historical purposes for the people in the future who are listening to this episode. Croatia adopted the euro. The U.S. announced its tracking of alleged Chinese spy balloons. Two Tinseltown Titans turned 100, Warner Brothers and Disney. A series of powerful earthquakes hit Turkey and Syria. And nearly five years after her last performance, Rihanna performed at the Super Bowl halftime show and announced that she was pregnant. So let's address the gap in the room. The gap? Yeah. What gap? The fact that our last episode was almost a year ago. Yeah, almost exactly a year ago. Yeah, we did Pixie for St. Patrick's Day last year. Yes, we have had quite a series of unfortunate events hit our family over that time period, and it just did not allow us to get back to recording the way that we wanted to. Do you want to tell the good people, or shall I lead into this? Uh, We can take turns. So... In the good news, I did finish my master's program, and I am graduating uh, this spring, so yay. Um, That's part of what caused the delay was writing my dissertation. And then at the end of 2022, I had to make an emergency return 
to the U.S. because we had a series of family things that happened all within like a month of each other. Yeah, our dad was in a pretty serious accident and was recovering from injuries. Um, Our mom fell while walking her dog and broke her hip and had to have surgery and then spent three weeks in a rehabilitation center. And then our grandmother, who is 98, is cared for by my mother, who broke her hip. Lara made the very, very selfish, selfish, selfless and kind gesture of coming back to help take care of her so that we didn't have to end up putting her somewhere or getting a full-time caretaker uh, that costs a lot of money. So everyone's Back on the mend, uh, in January, Nana had another uh, bout with bad health and actually went to a rehabilitation center herself, but she is now home. So it was just kind of a lot all at once. And the only thing we really could do was get through every day. Now we are in a place where we are able to do to do things other than take care of people that are sick or injured. So yeah. shout out to all the caretakers because I hope everyone understands what an immense task that is and what a thankless position it can be and also the psychological and emotional toll it takes and physical toll it takes on someone to do that you have our empathy and our and our support because we have been there and are there yeah if you are caring for a parent a child a friend a sibling a relative a friend a plant yeah anything we are there with you in spirit and solidarity and keep going yeah we might have to listen back to this ourselves yeah but we are back now and we have some good stuff that we'll be covering this year things are going to look a little bit different we're going to move to a once a month form structure rather than every two weeks just because we want to allow space just in case something does happen so that a lot of work doesn't fall on one person whoever happens to be editing that's about that. Yeah, I think I think that is updated. Thank you to everyone who has come back to listen to this episode and to any new people who are just joining us for the first time. Um, yeah. You ready to talk about Megan? Oh, absolutely. Our history with this is very short and sweet. We saw it for the first time in January. On Maybe- opening night. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Opening weekend, I thought. Um, And then, so I watched the unedited version that's on Peacock right now. And you watched the regular version. Yeah, the one released in theaters. If you look at them, there's not a whole lot of difference, but we will talk about that. Because they both say that they're one hour and 41 minutes. Now, how does that work? Basically what it is, is there's more cursing in the unrated version. They they drop a number of F-bombs instead of just the one that is allowed for a PG-13 rating. Mm-hmm. And the gore is technically more. Uh, oh. one, one article that I read said that in the theatrical version, when she rips the kid's ear off, it like cuts away before you see it like pull away from his head but in the unrated version you see it when she kills Kurt in the elevator in the theatrical version you just see her like raise up the paper cutter blade and then it cuts but in the unrated version you see her like slice his throat and blood spray yeah so this actually is a good segue into talking about the benefits of it being released as a PG-13 versus an R 
because they definitely could have gone gorier and got that R rating, but they kept it PG-13. And from what you've told me, a lot of horror enthusiasts were really uh, happy with that choice. Yeah, I've heard people talking about that because if they had gone gorier with it, it might have appealed to a more adult audience, but this has become very big because of the dance sequence in that was in the trailer with the youth. And a lot of people feel like this is a perfect gateway horror movie or like a perfect slumber party movie. And because of like the dance sequence and the fact that two of the stars are children, um, that this is a this is a good movie for kids who like scary stuff or I mean it's not even really that scary no I think the comedy aspect mixed with the horror is perfect I don't think that it's too scary speaking of someone that didn't grow up watching horror and has only recently gotten into it yeah it's a perfect sleepover slumber party movie because a lot of times you want something that kind of Fills that, and speaking just from my experience growing up as a girl, you want that kind of girly pop feel, but also something scary is nice too. I don't know what it is about groups of girls watching something scary that just is so fun. And I mean, and to talk about horror related to the queer experience and the female experience, like why femme presenting people and queer people tend to gravitate towards horror is it is this kind of escape, if you will, into this very fantastical world where things can kind of be turned on its head. You see a lot in horror that likes to subvert the typical, subvert what is quote unquote the norm. And I think for people that their lived experience involves a lot of trauma, sometimes it's therapeutic to see that trauma may be inflicted on someone else. (laughs) Or to see who is normally the prey or the victim being the predator. And so I think Megan is kind of a really cool marriage of that. Because you have a child's toy, which is like we had it with Chucky. Chucky walked so Megan could run. But in this, you have this very beautiful little Amanda Seyfried looking doll. Because I never saw it. And then I read an article that called her an Amanda Amanda Seyfried lookalike. And now I can never unsee it. Now I want to see a Megan remake of Mamma Mia, where she plays Amanda Seyfried's character. (laughs) But you have this very beautiful doll, this perfect little girl, if you will, this perfect girl's toy running on all fours, ripping ears off and slicing people up with paper cutting blades. You can be beautiful and deadly. Yes. Yes, you can. So this movie starts off on a really interesting note with it kind of takes you off guard because it's like there's this little girl and there's this jingle about like my dog was my best friend and now it's dead but now i have this uh what what did they call it um oh my god i can't remember oh i can't remember what they're called but it's a pet but it's better because it'll live longer than you perpetual pets perpetual pets or something like that so after that we are then trans go ahead it's perpetual pets but someone made a really good point that it feels like those really nostalgic 80s and 90s toy commercials it like immediately sent me back to that and i'm like maybe i want one except (laughs) in those 80s and 90s toy commercials they usually didn't talk about your dead pet (laughs) not in those terms at least 
but it reminded me of the My Buddy commercial. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. This movie is a little different than Chucky because Chucky was a doll that had the spirit of a serial killer put in it. So he was evil from the beginning. Megan didn't start off evil. And like most women, she didn't start off evil, but she learned. But we then go to the inside of a car during a snowstorm, are introduced to Katie, and she has a perpetual pet. And her parents are fighting about her having too much screen time. What's the point of a toy that you have to play with on an iPad because, like, you feed the pet? on the iPad and it makes farting noises in real life or something. Can I just say I would go absolutely or would have gone absolutely feral for that toy when I was a kid? Oh yeah. Like a toy that farts. Absolutely. Also a really fun little, maybe not Easter egg. Maybe I'm using that term incorrectly, but her name's Katie, but it's spelled C-A-D-Y like Katie in Mean Girls. I was going to ask if you had noticed that. Oh yes, I did. Something that's really neat, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Something that's really neat, though, is this is all from Katie's perspective. It's all, the camera's on Katie. You're just seeing her responses. You don't actually ever see her parents, I don't think. I think maybe we we get backs of their heads. You do see them because, like, the mom looks into the back seat, but the camera is in the back seat with her. And it's from the kid's perspective of, like, you know, listening to your parents fight. And the dad's... Or the mom's going, why didn't we put chains on these tires? And the dad's saying something like, well, neither one of us knew that that was a thing until five minutes ago. So don't pretend this is my fault. And Yeah, it, it doesn't, this establishing shot does a really nice job of building tension. Because you know something bad is going to happen. And it does. They end up stopping the car because they can't see they say well we can't just stay stopped in the middle of the road about that time a snow truck hits them and then we cut to the toy company funky which i'm assuming is a play on funko yeah it feels like it took funko's name and mashed it with like what hasbro or mattel is and it says the key to fun is funky (laughs) which makes no fucking sense but (laughs) We are introduced to Gemma Gemma. in her lab with Cole and Tess. They're working on a version of the Perpetual Pets, but they're also working on Megan. And they get their first synthetic skin for Megan. Their boss, David, is pounding on the door. He's mad because he doesn't have a key card to get in. But he can see everything that they're doing. Yeah, he can see what they're doing because it's a glass door. And so they let him in and he's like, what are you doing? You're not working on what I said to. And so they show him Megan. And at this point, she's just like the robot skeleton with the face on. Yeah, it's not unsettling at all. She has a moment where she works really good. She talks to David and then she starts glitching and then her head explodes. (laughs) Haven't we all been there? And Kurt says, I thought she looked really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Kurt. Trying to salvage this horrible day. And of course, David is like, stop working on this. Nobody asked you to get me this thing that I asked you to do. Then Gemma's phone rings and 
it's telling her that her sister was in the accident and she goes to the hospital to get Katie. The phone's telling her this? Yes, the phone tells her this. Wow, that Um, is a cool phone. It is, isn't it? (laughs) But that's what happens. She goes to get Katie. She signs the papers to become her guardian. And can I just say, Gemma is not likable at all in my book. Like, as a character, I don't find myself... I find myself rooting for Katie... Therefore, I'm rooting for Gemma. But if it's just Gemma, I kind of don't love her. I was wondering if, and I don't know what, because, but the fact that she's really smart and kind of detached, if maybe she has like attachment issues or she doesn't quite know how to relate to people because she doesn't really seem to have any friends or anything. No, everything's about work with her. And while I say I don't love her, as like, I don't love her as a character. I don't relate. Maybe it's maybe saying I don't relate to her is better, but I actually think that's really great because what is the one thing that characters that are femme presenting are always pigeonholed into? They need to be what? Likeable. And relatable. Yes. So, you know, whereas she doesn't really ring my bell, she might, that might be someone, someone might see themselves in her. Because they're very, because women are varied and we have a lot of different ways that we can be. So while she's not my cup of tea, I appreciate that kind of character because it's going against type. Well, and she doesn't immediately become like mothering. No, like not at all. Like Katie Um, walks in the house and she sees all the toys and she's immediately like, oh, but those, we don't play with those. Which... As a collector, I hear that. I even wrote a note at one point that's like, leave her toys alone. But toys are meant to be played with. Thank you, Toy Story 2. To- oh, I didn't know they said that. The, there was the one toy that w- had been in the box. He was a collector's item and they took him out. And they put him in the girl's backpack with the Barbie who had half her head shaved and tattoos drawn all over her. Well, think about if if toys were sentient, how sad would that be? Honestly, that's like so traumatic just to think of the whole plot of Toy Story in and of itself. Because there's too much pain that toys would experience. But that's something that I think about. It's like, oh, yeah, toys, like a toy's whole purpose. And maybe I'm wrong. I have been known to be wrong. Is to bring joy and be, be this play thing, right? Yeah. So if it's, if it's, but I guess it's bringing joy in another way because someone has it and is like, it's still new and hasn't been touched and I'm so happy. So, you know, there's room, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. Different joy for different toys. But they go and they clean out her parents' house and drive back to, I don't know where they lived and where Gemma lives. That's not really established. Like, I feel like she probably lives somewhere, maybe Northern California. That would make sense to me because it's some, it's like a toy tech company. So I thought maybe like a Silicon Valley situation, but also they're in the mountains. So, well, I mean, California has mountains. I'm not stupid. So who knows? But yeah, they're wherever they're at, they're a distance from each other. The neighbor's dog goes through a hole in Gemma's fence as they're unloading the car. Gemma has been having a feud with this neighbor about her dog. Her and the neighbor do not get along at all, and that is established right away. But what's weird is the lady still doesn't seem to know that. The neighbor. Yeah. 
she's still like hey Gemma have you seen whatever the dog's name is like they're just neighbors not like they've had this dispute and Gemma immediately comes back at her with like a lot of I don't know what the right word is hostility and you're like oh damn I guess they're not friends shit so they come into the house and this is when they talk about the collectible toys clearly Gemma doesn't know how to relate to her niece at all not just through the grieving process but like as a child yeah well because it's funny to me that this person that spends their entire life creating toys for children has really no interest in children beyond creating something really no interest in children and no real relatable I, i guess no real skills to to speak to a child yeah, when she puts her to bed, she's just kind of like, well, um, good night, old pal. Yeah, I had a lot of compassion or empathy for Katie in this whole thing, because I would think about like being a child and just like going somewhere new and not having your comforts, your established routines, your comfort people, and how scary that was and how awful, like obviously it would have been traumatizing and awful, but just the thought, it's like that first night being alone and just having like someone be like, okay, uh, well, good, good night. And not taking into account anything this kid has been through. That stuck out to me a lot when I was watching this this first part with them together. Yeah, because she doesn't ask her like, oh, what's your bedtime routine? Or like, what do, what do you do when you go to bed? Or anything like that. She's just kind of like, here's a glass of water. Peace. And she hears Katie crying in her room and she doesn't go in. She just kind of stands outside the door and listens. Not in a creepy way, but more like in a, I don't know what to do about this way. Part of the deal is she has to have these visits by like a family counselor or a therapist. Court appointed therapist, I think. Yeah, she doesn't realize that the woman's coming this morning. Katie's still in her PJs, which they would have had a fit at our house. We were Uh, always in our pajamas. It's loungewear. Yeah, we were doing loungewear before loungewear was a thing. She's like, oh, you're still in your PJs. And why don't you go get some toys? And they hadn't unpacked any toys the night before. So they bust into one of uh, her collectible toys. Yeah, and you can see just like the pained expression on her face because she's like panicking. So she does it. But also it's like, what have I done? Well, she also didn't have to like completely destroy the box. (laughs) There's ways you could do it. There's a middle ground, ma'am. Then they, she just watches them like roll it back and forth to each other. Like she's, I don't know, three or something. It's just interesting. But again, it's another time when we see that Gemma doesn't know what she's doing because she says, oh, What about school? And she's like, well, I'm going to look into schools. It's on my to-do list. Everything's kind of an afterthought because she has no real sense of what should be happening or taking place. So she goes to work on the perpetual pets again. She's like, I just have to work for an hour or so. And then it's clear that she's been working for way longer than that. At some point, Katie sticks her head in like... Has it been three hours? Has it been six? I don't know, but it's been a while. And so she shows off Bruce, which is a robot that she made when she was in college, which is pretty impressive. It's got these like gloves and it mimics whatever motions you do. Yeah, you have to put the gloves on and then it will copy whatever it is you're doing. And so that's a nice bonding moment between Katie and Gemma. Yeah, you get a little peek. You get a little peek of a relationship starting to build. 
Katie says, if I had a toy like Bruce, I'd never need another toy again, which sends alarm bells in um, Jimma's head is like, I got to finish Megan. Light bulbs are going off. She has a goal now. She is galvanized. In seemingly one night, I don't know, maybe a week, I don't know. She like completely fixes Megan. In one movie montage. Yes, they do a demonstration for David. And let me tell you what, if I had seen this thing, I wouldn't believe it because it's amazing. It literally can do everything. She draws this like fully beautiful color life illustration of Katie with magic ink and it's a great demonstration. She walks, moves just like a real person, which because she is. David is like, this is incredible. Does it cost more or less than a Tesla to manufacture? So he's like, we've got to show this to corporate because this is big money. Um, And he goes, remember, this is the moment we kicked Hasbro in the dick. Yeah. Because this is also the time when she's like, hey, let me have Megan pair with my niece and see how she does with a child. And then we get this cool, like, it's a voiceover of Gemma explaining how Megan works. And then we are also seeing it in real time. And she's like, a patient, or a patient, a parent spends most of their time reiterating the same information over and over. So Megan will be able to do that for you instead. And she's like, Katie, flush the toilet. Katie, remember to flush the toilet. And the last time she's like, Katie, seriously, flush the toilet. So you start to see that Megan's got an attitude even from the beginning. She's learning. All these things that Megan can do and how the parents will have more time for the things that are really important. And then in that scene, you see Gemma watching TV, the yes. things that are really important. Basically, like, parenting will be cut down by, like, 50%. Tess says, well, if you're letting Megan do all of these things, when are you spending time with your child? And Gemma goes, she's not my child. Ooh! Which... Like- Fair, isn't, but also, like, not even remotely acknowledging her guardianship. Yeah, because, okay, granted, you didn't birth her, but she is your child because you're her guardian. Yeah, she's your child because you are responsible for her. And so she tells Megan that her goal is to protect Katie from any harm, physical or emotional. And Megan goes, got it. Gemma is now my secondary user. At this point, she asks, how did Katie's parents die? Gemma's like, well, let's not talk about death. And Megan's like researching death. (laughs) And she's like, no, Megan. There's already some problems with how Gemma wants Megan to be and how Megan wants to be. Because she is. Because she's designed to learn and adapt. Yes. But Gemma didn't take into account what that would mean. Yeah, because she doesn't think about that. So it's one of those things, like, some movies would be like, oh, does the robot have a mind of its own? No, we know right away that Megan has a mind of her own. <laughs> yeah. it's She was built to have a mind of her own so that she can parent the child without having to bother the parent. And so let's take a moment to talk about our screenwriter. Yes, Akila Cooper. She was raised in Missouri. She graduated from 
Truman State University with a degree in creative writing and got her MFA from the USC School of Cinema and Television, where she was the first recipient of the NAACP CBS Writers Fellowship. She was a staff writer on one of my favorite TV shows, Grimm, for two seasons. And she also wrote and co-produced for The 100, American Horror Story, Luke Cage, Jupiter's Legacy, which I have never heard of, Witches of East End, and Chambers. She wrote the horror film Malignant, which you still haven't seen. I haven't seen that, but my husband won't stop talking about it. If you've seen it, you know. If you haven't, it is bonkers. Which um, speaks to me on a on an emotional, psychological level. She is the screenwriter for the upcoming sequel of The Nun. Oh, and she's also writing Megan 2.0. Which is... Just so exciting. I am ready to see Megan battle a shark or, you know, go back in time and fight the dinosaurs, you know, team up with someone. It's going to be great, whatever it is. I just, I really hope for the most. She's going to be the showrunner for an HBO Max television series of A. Lee Martinez novel, Monster. Oh, what's that about? I don't know, honestly. I'm curious. I need to look it up. But the fact that she's going to be a showrunner is really cool. She's also been nominated for a few awards. She was nominated in 2017 for an NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Writing for Luke Cage. And also in 2017, she was nominated for a Black Reel Award for Luke Cage as well. While she doesn't have, you know, a ton of credits, what she's done is really impressive. And I can't wait to see what she's going to do next. Well, it just, it kind of speaks to her talent as a writer because the project she's worked on, like what I'm looking at, like a lot of them may have horror or sci-fi elements, but they're very different shows. Oh, yeah. So, uh, she's showing versatility. Yeah. So much creativity because, like, while there's some criticism of, criticism of Megan saying that it's predictable yeah and stuff like that I still think it's a very creative film and Malignant was very creative a lot of these shows here that she's worked on like you said are very different and different aspects of them are really cool and then she's also you know if working on Luke Cage is like adaptation work versus an original story that shows the diversity of her talent as well. Yeah. And going back to predictability, predictability is not a bad thing. I think when something is tired and not well done, the predictability isn't great, but when something's well-written and shot well, like has a good team behind it, that's okay because stories can only go so many different ways and twists are great, but stories themselves are formulaic. Things are going to be predictable. And I don't find that the predictability in the story that is Megan hinders it. I think it's very fun. It, it is, almost feels like a throwback. It's entertaining. So I don't need it to be the most new mind-blowing thing ever. But it does play with some things. Like the fact that the scientist who creates Megan is a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think still, like, going back to, like, the imagery of seeing this beautiful little toy, or not little toy, but this beautiful toy meant for children, is also capable of horrific acts of violence. Like, I think, you know, from the trailer, like, of course, when she's, like, doing her little dance with her her blade and whatnot, like, you know that there's going to be violence. 
But I think that there's something about Megan that kind of subverts what we expect. But also, it gave us exactly what we wanted. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, back to the story. Megan kind of starts to take over a little bit. Doing exactly what she's been programmed to do. She was told to protect Katie. And when the neighbor's dog bites Katie, so the neighbor's dog attacks Megan and Katie comes to rescue her and then she gets bit. You know right away the dog's gonna go. Thankfully, we don't see anything. You just, like, hear the dog go, like, "Ah!" and then that's Yeah, you see the last thing it sees, and it's Megan's face. Yeah. But there's also this really cool shot after the dog attacks Megan and and Katie, where you just see Megan looking at the dog and then looking at the general direction of the neighbor's house. You're like, oh, no, this doggy's not going to make it much longer. And so the day after the dog attack is when they're doing the presentation for all of the higher ups in the company. Gemma asks Katie if she's up to it and she goes, it's okay if you're not, but if you're not, I'd just rather you tell me now. Yeah, she did not mean that at all, which is, I think, the point. Yeah. But But also, poor Katie. Yeah, she also doesn't present it in a way like... You can. Oh, I understand you're not feeling good. She's, it's... Kind of like, if you have to ruin everything, I guess that's fine. Or if you're going to ruin it, just tell me now so that I can deal with it. how to, yeah. Now this is where we get the iconic song and I'm back on track. Yes. <laughs> so they do the, de- they go in to do the demonstration and Katie's sitting there and Megan comes in and she's like, Katie, do you want to help me make something with just, paper and a rubber band and Katie starts crying. Let me tell you what. So this this child actor, Violet McGraw, knows how to be the embodiment of depression because she can look so fucking sad that you're like, damn, am I sad? I guess so. But yeah, she starts crying. Gemma and Tess and all the other people, they're all looking at each other like, oh no, this is all going wrong. And then all of a sudden, Megan takes over and starts basically a counseling session. Yeah. It was like an after school special, like with Katie, like, and just perfectly handles Katie's grief, like perfectly to the point that you're almost getting choked up watching it. Well, the people in the audience are there's one of the women is crying and I mean it couldn't have gone better yeah it's extremely touching and then there's just this iconic song like Megan is singing this song to Katie after helping her navigate her grief and it ends with I'm so glad I finally found you something to that effect but it is the corniest creepiest Instantly iconic scene. Because you're just sitting there going, what? What? And it just keeps happening. The head of the company is like, this is the greatest thing ever. What are we going to do? We got to keep this from getting out. They decide they're going to do a live stream in two weeks to present Megan to the world. We also find out that Kurt is doing corporate espionage. He steals the plans for Megan. Yeah, yeah. Because he's like this little Weasley looking dude. And he acts like... Like he's completely under Brandon's thumb. And then David. he's, why do I think his name was Brandon? Brandon's the little kid she kills. Oh, that's right. Sorry. It's just too many like white guy names. I can't keep them all straight. David. Yes. So you think that Kurt's just under his thumb and has no backbone. And I mean, he doesn't, 
but he's using his little spineless snake body to, <laughs> like Laura said, commit corporate espionage. David walks up to him and goes, are you porn hubbing at work again? And he's like, no. And there's this really awkward exchange. It's like, no, I'm not porn hubbing. I'm just stealing the plans. <laughs> I'm just about to make a lot of money. Yeah. But yeah, so company goes on lockdown. So no one can see Megan, know about Megan. Yeah. Nothing. And so, of course, that works perfectly. So the therapist has another session with Katie. For some reason, they're in the observation room at Gemma's work this time. Katie starts crying. And the therapist reaches for a box of tissues and they're empty and she turns and Megan's standing there with tissues and Megan goes you made her cry and she goes well that wasn't my intention and Megan goes and yet that's what happened honestly if anyone ever wrongs me that is going to be my instant reaction and yet that's what happened and so you're like oh Jesus this therapist about to get taken out yeah, because um, that's the thing, too, because this movie does a good job of you never know exactly where she's going to strike because you think, OK, yeah, she, the therapist is, a, is an adult. She's in this isolated room, but also she's not going to kill in front of Katie, but it would make sense for her to kill in that moment. Yeah, she's not like I said, she's not a serial killer like Chucky is. No, she is discerning in her mm -hmm. victims and she establishes that then is not the best time to murder the therapist yet. And so the therapist is talking to Gemma and she's like, do you know about attachment theory? And she says in an ordinary situation, when a child loses their parent, they would bond with the next parental figure, the next person closest to them, which ordinarily would have been Gemma, but in this case is Megan. And that's not what? Healthy. And she said, if you make a toy that's impossible to let go of, how do you expect children to grow? Ooh, hard truths. Hard truths being laid out by the therapist. We start to see how this is playing between Gemma and Megan because, I mean, Gemma and Katie, well, and Gemma and Megan. Yeah, there's a weird, not love triangle, but there's a definite bizarre triangle happening. Like this relationship triangle. Because Gemma's like, oh, you have to eat the toppings on your pizza, and Katie picks them off anyway. And, okay, that is something. I'm like, literally pizza? We're going to start yeah. with pizza? This is a I weird know. battle. And it was only, like, itty-bitty pieces of, like, basil or something. So it's like, whatever. But basically, it was just to show that Katie was being rebellious. But, like, why not have her eating, like, I don't know, some green beans? Or, like, you know, like, having the more stereotypical dinner where you have like a vegetable and a protein and a carb or starch or whatever and be like, Oh, Katie, you should eat your Brussels sprouts. But yeah, no, cause these microscopic pieces of whatever greenery on this very cheesy pizza, that's the problem. Yeah. That's where the focus needs to be. So yeah, there's this battle of wills over these small, like a tablespoon of green. We don't even know what it is. And it's at this point that Gemma presents that Katie's going to go to school. And Katie's like, well, I'm learning more with Megan. So I don't think there's a reason for me to go to school. Gemma says, well, you need to socialize. Ugh. Like, I get it. But I just heard it so many times growing up being homeschooled. I, when I hear that, I'm just triggered. I'm like, you know what? I don't ever want to see anybody just because you said that. 
We also see how well this socialization goes. Also, maybe you could hang out with your niece. Yeah, because at the school day, she... And this is like an alternative rich people's school. This isn't like dropping you off at like the local elementary public school. This is like foresting, foraging led interest learning that definitely is going to cost a huge amount in yearly tuition but she gets paired up with this kid named brandon Gemma was just gonna drop katie off because she had to go and run diagnostics on megan and stuff before the launch but she kind of gets guilted into staying yeah and so she's, she's helping make sandwiches and oh it's brandon's mom it's Brandon's mom, and she's like, he's such a sensitive soul. And she goes, Brandon, are you warm enough, honey? And he goes, fuck off, Lori, or whatever his mom's name is. This is the kind of landscape that is very foreign to me. Because if I had even deigned to think that, fleeting as it may have been when I was a child, I would not be here now. I'd oh, be no. scraping my whole existence off the side of the moon. They just would have launched us to Jesus right then and there. I mean, we would have been grounded until like our 40th birthday. And that would have been getting off easy. Yeah. And so Katie gets paired with Brandon to go find chestnuts in the forest. Brandon is right off the bat, squeezes her hand around this spiky thing. Hurts her. Just really bad right off the bat. And Oh, and also because... Because Megan can't be seen. Megan's in the car. Or no, Megan's in a pile of toys. She's on the toy table. Which is another very creepy shot because it looks like this little kid buried in toys. But you just see her eyes, like her face looking out. And it's like completely blank and emotionless. But she's watching the whole thing. But they can't utilize her or Gemma does not want Katie to utilize her because it would. What's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it could leak what she is yeah it would oh not expose it could oh that there's a word that's really good and would have been perfect in that moment but it's not there but it would have um it would be bad for them to utilize megan in front of a group of people so megan shows up in the woods there because of course she's been keeping tabs on everything that's going on with her like supersonic hearing and everything and honestly as a as a woman and an audience viewer i was so excited to see her because the only time she's really dangerous is when people are trying to hurt katie yeah in her eyes well and this kid is hurting katie yeah this kid is a little asshole you know what he got his yeah i'm not mad So he's like flicking her in the face going, make her say something. And Katie says, well, she's paired with me, so she won't play with you. So he does what any good little brat does and grabs Megan and runs off with her. And he throws Mm -hmm. her down on the ground and takes her shoe off for some reason. That scene was really upsetting because I don't know what he, you know, obviously that wasn't the point of the scene, but it just felt really creepy that he had this form that looks like a little girl and he was just throwing it around and just using it as he wished it was well it it was quite triggering to watch that it i know it doesn't go there but it almost looks like it's gonna be a rape scene because he climbs on top of her i know that's what i'm talking about it just and watching that was really upsetting 
It is. Megan, but then it gets upsetting for another reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Megan says something about something about him being bad or what happens to bad boys. She pulls his ear off. And then she said, you, um, you need to learn some manners, Brandon. And so he starts running away from her as I suppose you would if somebody pulled your ear off. And then she starts like running on all fours after like a him. feral humanoid animal. It is the best thing. It was so cathartic because that whole scene up until that point was making me feel so tense. And then she just exacts her revenge and does what every woman wishes they could do to abusers. And then she's just animalistically chasing him. And he trips, falls down a hill and gets run over by a car. And most of the time, nearly a hundred percent of the time when a child dies in a movie, it is horrifying. It's very upsetting, very disturbing. This was not that time. This was like the 1% time where I was like, yeah, fuck that kid. So, of course, the police come. At dinner that night, Gemma, for the first time, is really kind of trying to do some parenting. And she's like, that boy is in a better place. And she's like, you know, if there's something you didn't want to tell the police, you can tell me. And you can tell Katie's kind of uncomfortable. And she's like, no, Brandon just took Megan off the toy table and ran off. And Jim is like, that's weird. But Katie's also, I think, a little leery of Megan because she knows that Megan and Brandon were off in the woods and now he's dead. Yeah, she doesn't know exactly what happened, but she is suspicious. And it's also at this point, the cops come to the house again because the neighbor has called them to say Gemma took her dog. Oh, yeah. And Gemma's like, I don't know what happened to the dog. She said, have you looked in her house? He's probably dead under a pile of antique baby strollers. I guess alluding to the neighbor being a hoarder. Mm-hmm. The neighbor bangs on the window and is like, you just see what happens. I'm going to get you for this or, you know, something threatening. And, and who happens to hear this? It's Megan. Megan. So again, another perceived threat against Katie because it's not just a threat against Gemma. That night, Katie is talking to Megan about Brandon and she says, do you think that boy's in heaven? And she said, if heaven exists, it wouldn't be for boys like Brandon. It's like, again, just so many bangers that Megan drops on us. And then she sings Bulletproof. She does. It's so good. <laughs> My friend texted me with, like while watching this uh, in all caps asking, why is she singing Titanium? Oh, that's right. It's called Titanium, not Bulletproof. <laughs> I think it's called, I think it's parentheses. Okay. But yeah, she's like, why is she singing Titanium? It's like, why not? And so then, because her day of killing isn't complete yet, she goes and she kills the neighbor with her power washer. Yeah, that honestly was pretty, probably the most fucked up death. I closed my eyes because I knew it would be bad. And apparently that's one of the scenes in the unrated version that is a it holds on it a little bit longer Ugh. and is a little more gruesome than in the theatrical version. Yeah, because what does she stab through her hand? Doesn't she stab something through her hand? Yeah, she shoots her with a nail gun. A nail gun. Yeah, because she's hiding because the lady's going, she is mimicking the dog because yeah. 
Megan can do that because Megan can do everything. And so lures the lady out to her shed and then like comes out of the shadows with a nail gun and shoots the lady in the hand and power washes her to death. I mean, honestly, very creative. Most creative use of the power washer, Megan in (laughs) Megan. She's resourceful. Yes, she uses what she has at her disposal. Gemma is talking to Megan. She asks her, she says, did you hurt someone? And she goes, I better not have because then we'd both be in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Which is like the most underhanded, veiled threat. It's like, oh my God. And she's saying it in this really cheery voice. And you're like, oh shit. This is a perfect point. Talk about Violet McGraw. Yes, our young star, Violet McGraw, began acting at the age of five. And her debut role, credited role, was in the series Love as Nina. And she was also, her first feature film was Ready Player One. But did you know that she was young Nell Crane in The Haunting of Hill House? Yes, I did, because that child is not easily forgettable. She's just got a face for horror, which sounds really mean, but she just, she's perfect for a scary movie or a scary show. She was so good in it, like that, and we've talked about The Haunting of Hill House many times on this show, but just that scene where her and the little boy are like, and what if bad things happen and you can't stop them? And it's one of the delusions that the mom is having and it's such a good scene. She is part of some really, really good episodes and some episodes of that show that will live with me for the rest of my life because it's some of the scariest stuff I've ever seen and not just because it's scary image wise it's just scary story like the thought of it happening but because of her experiences in the haunting of hill house and also in dr sleep which was also a mike flanagan film yes it um, was she was able to give advice to her older sister who was in the horror film black phone which i still haven't seen i haven't seen that one either i think carl did i don't remember if he liked it or not people said a lot of really good things about it but i i haven't seen it yet she was also um in the marvel cinematic universe she was young yelena belova in black widow yeah it's like this kid is what 12 and she's already done all this stuff and is in the marvel cinematic universe i mean she's just she's a fantastic actor and just for kids to understand and have that emotional ability like that to convey that at that age is just extraordinary to me so it's like when you're able to do that realistically convincingly and plus she has a great look and she's the youngest of four siblings who are all working actors Dang, it's not about that, but those parents. Yeah. I hope they're all being taken care of. I hope it's not like meal ticket one, two, three, four. Yeah, it's it'll be really exciting to see what sh- she continues to do. Well, and if they continue on with this, it's like they're going to be another, you know, family dynasty, like Baldwin's, Arquette's. Not necessarily that they have done like the best stuff, but just in this in the sense that it's a whole family of actors, which is just, that's not typical. So but back yeah. to our, our feature presentation. Bum, bum. Spoiler alert. The forecast is murder. Yeah. So Gemma's, she's on to Megan a little bit. She knows that something's up and she starts looking at 
the files because she wants to see like, okay, what has Megan seen? What has Megan heard? And all the data is corrupted. All the data specifically around times and dates where certain individuals might have been, how you say, unalived. Mm -hmm. A most foul murder. Murder. Is that anything like death? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. She decides she's going to take Megan back and run some diagnostics on her. Katie freaks out. Yeah. Like, not like, oh, no, I don't want you to take her. Like, goes full on animal, feral kid. Yeah. The therapist. The therapist comes to meet with her. She grabs a pair of scissors and goes for the therapist. She slaps Gemma in the face, throwing things and screaming. But she tells her, she tells Gemma that she just goes crazy if she can't be near Megan. And she said, you made her real good, Aunt Gemma, and that all kids need Megan, even the ones that don't have dead parents. It's like exactly what the therapist said would happen, happened. Yeah. She has completely attached to Megan and could give a fuck about Gemma. So it's the day of the launch and she's left Megan to run some diagnostics on her. She's wrapped her up in like bubble wrap. Cole and Tess are like, there's no way that she could do that. We set up parameters so that she can't do things like that. Gemma and Katie decide they're just going to go home. Yeah, you know, it's good. This is all fine. It's all fine. So we're just not going to be here. Y'all handle it. Gemma calls Tess and they have a conversation. Only we find out that Megan has hacked Tess's phone. (sighs) Gemma isn't talking to Tess. So in the beginning, when we joked about it being Megan calling to tell... Gemma about her sister, that's because it can happen. So that's a thing she does. They're starting to look through, they like plug Megan in and they're looking through the data. And then all of a sudden, Megan locks them out of the system. And they're like, oh, we need to take all the cables out of her because she's still patched in. And of course, there is one main cable that needs to come out, but it's connected to her head. Yep. So when Cole goes to take it out, she wraps this wire around his neck. Basically, she's like hanging him. Yeah, um, she creates a little noose and little hang a hangman situation. And Tess is able to cut him down, but Gemma stabs a screwdriver into this thing that says "careful explosives" and blows up the lab. Yeah. So at that point, I kind of thought they were done for. Yeah, but they they end up making it out okay. Spoiler alert, they live. But then we start uh, her reign of terror where she walks down the hallway and does her dance that uh, became very famous. Yes, instantly iconic. The promotional work for this movie, honestly, whoever designed it should get a raise because they had groups of dancing Megans at premieres. Um, There have been drag performances of Megan. Like, this is one of those instantly iconic scenes that even if you don't ever see the movie, movie, you're going to know exactly where it's from. So good. And she sees David at the end of the long hallway. It it kind of reminds me a little bit of the scene in The Shining where um, you see the twins. Mm-hmm. Only there's one. You know, Megan's at one end of the hallway and David's at the other. And so she does her dance and then shot. she rips the blade off of a paper cutter Still and dancing. uses it as a sword. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Literally, it looks like some kind of, I don't know, 
blade, like a samurai blade or something. The elevator opens and Kurt is there. And a little bit before David had just been a super jerk to Kurt. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hold the door, hold the door. And Kurt's like, door closed, door closed. <laughs> but just as he gets there, she stabs a knife through David. And then Kurt's in the elevator and he's like, why did you kill him? And she's like, oh, I didn't, Kurt. You did. Mm-hmm. Based because of your corporate espionage and you hated your boss and the, goes through this whole scenario. You just couldn't handle it. Yeah, and she goes, would you be able to live with yourself after you murdered a person? And he's like, yes, yes, I can. (laughs) And she's like, nah, and then she slits his throat. Yeah, because at the beginning when she's in the hallway and she's doing the dance, you're like, what the hell is happening? It just feels like this really out of, like, out of story moment. But then it all makes sense when she starts talking to Kurt. It's like, oh, she's planning this. This isn't just a killing spree. This is premeditated thought out like there's a storyline because again all of these people are keeping her from katie and katie is her priority and so there's all the people downstairs for the launch and the elevator opens and they see the dead bodies and the blood then megan goes outside and steals a really fancy car like a really fancy car yeah i'd like to imagine it was david's for some reason i think it is although there's nothing to really indicate that I just, I don't know. It just feels correct. The house is dark. Katie's in bed. Gemma is talking to her home AI. Yeah, her Alexa. And she's like, turn on the lights. And the lights don't turn on. So she walks to the living room. And there's Megan playing the piano. Yeah, because she hears it first. And she's like walking. And it's this very, very traditional horror shot of her slowly walking in and the slow reveal of Megan sitting at the piano. And then they have this whole dialogue. Which it's a really interesting concept that doesn't have a chance to get explored where Megan's like, we do you remember how long it took you to get my program running? We would talk about everything. And basically it was like Megan and Gemma were friends and then Megan got abandoned by Gemma. Yeah. But again, it's not really something that gets addressed except like in this moment. Yeah, because it's all from Megan's perspective. Because Gemma, on her end, there was no relationship. She was working on an object. But the thing was is she was creating something with artificial intelligence that was learning and adapting and getting smarter the more she talked. So there was a relationship that Gemma wasn't aware of and I don't think she really cared about. Then she's says, you didn't give me any protocols. You didn't give me any parameters. You just made me and then just kind of left me to my own devices. And she's like, and I figured it out. It was kind of like watching someone that's been abandoned by a caregiver tell them it's like, hey, you didn't leave me with any discernible tools or knowledge or skill set to set me up for success, but I still figured it out. Basically, she did the same thing to Megan that she was doing to Katie. And Megan's like, I'm not gonna let you do that to her. But her plan is like kind of, or not kind of, the plan is morbid. Oh yeah, it's really morbid. If Gemma won't cooperate, yeah, because she's like, any situation where you're not here is not good for me because she was like, what are you going to do? Go live with Katie and her grandparents in Florida? And she's like, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit this spot in your brain that paralyzes you. So you're a vegetable in your own body and or I'm going to be Katie's caregiver. 
But she would also be taking care of Gemma, too. And she's like, so you can see just how helpful I actually am. Like, you know, it's a great plan, but, you know, some holes. Then this is when the big fight happens. The big fight, Megan versus Gemma. And at one point, Katie tries to come out of her room, but she's like, no, 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 it's fine. Because she, Megan tells Gemma, if she comes in here, I'll tear your fucking, or I'll tell your head off your fucking neck. Which is yeah. one of the F-bombs that isn't in the theatrical cut. Ah, I can't wait to watch it. But yeah, there is the big fight scene. Which, the one question I have about this is, Gemma hits her in the head with a glass of water, which, you know, we know robots and water don't mix very Electronics well. Electronics and water, yeah, not yeah. good. Her makeup runs. That That's my one question about this whole movie. It's Does like, a robot's makeup run? You couldn't spring for the waterproof paint. Yeah. It's like it, I mean, it makes a great visual, but that was the one thing that I was just like. Logistically, "Hmm." that makes no sense because the robot, if it's caring for a child, will come into contact with water. So why is it there (laughs) better, I guess, paint being used? But yeah, it is a good, it is a good image though. And she gets a hedge trimmer to the face, which makes her very terrifying. She gets disfigured in the best ways because the more that Gemma tries to kill her the worse she looks the more terrifying she becomes so by the end she is just this nightmare but she's still coming at Gemma with everything that she's got and she's still got a lot left because Megan's trying to convince Katie to help her with this plan to paralyze Gemma it looks like Katie's gonna help her And then Katie goes, oh, we didn't introduce you to the other member of the family. His name is Bruce. And she activates the gloves. Yeah. And does does she body check her, punch her? I can't remember. But she gets launched. Yeah. They have a fight. And then she has Bruce rip Megan in half. Yeah. It is violent, but like the most elaborate um flamboyant way you can possibly kill a robot like it is she is violently torn in half but her upper half is still bent on revenge to me this is the perfect image of when i tell someone it's like if you want to fight me you better kill me because until i'm dead i will come at you with everything that i have because she literally has the top half of her and she is crawling she's like i'm still coming for you bitch Yeah, and Bruce slips on her legs and falls on top of Gemma. And somehow Gemma gets out from underneath Bruce. She, like, rips Megan's face off and is trying to get to, like, her processing unit or whatever it's called. The core, her mind, her brain. Megan starts strangling her. Katie grabs this giant screwdriver and just stabs it right into the middle of where, like, her chip or whatever is which of course is like conveniently right where the brain on a human is located so you get this visual of a screwdriver just going right in her head megan's dead megan's dead she's defeated you know i don't think this is something anybody can celebrate because the thing was is she was right she was given a job with no parameters or protocols and she did what the best that she could so i can't sit here sit there and be like good also she's just iconic so yeah who wants to live in a world without megan i assume she'll be back in 
the next one, or maybe they'll have a different version of Megan, or who knows? Maybe maybe the uh, files that Kurt stole gets passed on to somebody else, and they make their own Megan. I don't know. See, um, that's kind of what I would thought was going to happen was they were going to destroy this Megan, but then they were going to like turn on the TV and see rows and rows and rows of Megans being mass produced because somehow they covered up the incident at the lodge. Interesting. So then the end is like the police are showing up in the ambulance and then Cole and Tess get out of the police car. That's the end. Yeah, it ends kind of unceremoniously. It's kind of like a, like, okay, well, she's dead. Nothing left yeah. to see here, folks. I really wanted that moment where, you know, like something twitches just to let you know she's she's still alive or there's a sequel in the works, but they probably didn't know that was going to happen until this thing became a massive success. That is Megan. And so let's talk about Megan real quick. Let's Amy Donald. About, yeah, her the body of Megan. She is a dancer who has performed in international competitions. She's represented New Zealand in the Dance World Cup in 2019. Um, she was the first competitor from her country in that competition to win medals, a silver and a bronze. She co-choreographed the dance sequence with her dance teacher. Also all of her own stunts, like all the acrobatic tricks and stunts that she did, she also choreographed. The director said that he was surprised that she figured out how to do some of the really difficult stunts, like the Cobra Rise, when she's fighting Brandon, where she just, like, she's laying flat on the ground, and then she just, like, her knees bend, and she just rises up. Like, I don't even know how you get your body to do that. Yeah, well, that's kids, young bodies that aren't brittle with age yet. <laughs> Fair. But yeah, super impressive stuff. Because initially when I saw the movie, I thought that there was probably a good amount of CGI used. And honestly, there wasn't that much. And most of the imagery that you associate with Megan was Amy Donald's body. Like, just things she was doing herself. Most of the CGI was to make her face look like it was latex or silicone and mm -hmm. to make her hands look like they were latex or silicone or whatever. And, and when you think about the movie and everything that went into it and all that they could have done or that has been done for these kinds of things, it's like, that's it? That's, that is a testament to the filmmakers, to the stunt and uh, dance choreographers, just what they were able to do just with the human body. So it's really going to be really success. exciting to see what she does as well. Yeah, for real. But now let's talk about some reviews of this movie. Because we talked earlier about how people said it was kind of predictable and a bit cheesy, which I think we can agree with a little bit, but yeah. not in a bad way. I don't think people, it's either, I think this is a love or hate movie. I think you either get it or you don't. It doesn't seem to really have a, a midway point. So most of the reviews that I looked up were all fairly positive. Jason, is it Zinnemann? Zinnemann, yeah. At the New York Times said, Williams capably updates the mad scientist archetype, refusing to pause and ask questions while inventing the doll of the future. The director, Gerard Johnstone, doesn't go for elaborate suspense sequences or truly intense scares. He wants to please, not rattle. And while there are some hints at social commentary on how modern mothers and fathers use technology to outsource parenting, this movie is smart enough to never take itself too seriously. Owen Glibberman at Variety 
said the latest addition to the killer doll genre, Megan, is an enjoyable horror light romp, knowing, amusing, but not particularly scary. But while the psychotically perky robot may not have the chaotic energy of Chucky from Child's Play or the porcelain malevolence of Annabelle, she does bring a pleasing TikTok friendly pizzazz to her killing rampages. Because she looks like Amanda Seyfried. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh no, wait. Ha ha. That was. <laughs> oh, that was. Oh, I see what that happened. That was Wendy Idol at The Guardian. I. So I don't know what the variety. What variety said because I. I pasted the same thing twice. All right. Well, the variety review had some good stuff too. So uh, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. There's also one that I found on Vox.com that is entitled Why Megan is Already a Camp Horror Icon in the Making by Alex Abad Santos. And um, I just want to read an excerpt because I really like it. Um, Since the initial trailer release in October, I've wanted nothing more than to watch this beautiful mean girl animatronic cheerleader kill things, wreak havoc, and terrorize Allison Williams. Like and while um, and while glamorous women who dance and are capable of homicide appeal to directly to my homosexual taste, I love Chicago. I couldn't figure out why. I desperately needed to see this movie. But it's a really excellent article that kind of talks about the queer feminist tie-ins of this movie. Um, oh, cool! And I found it quite helpful. I thought it was really well written and brought up some excellent points because I kind of had the same feeling that the writer did. As soon as I saw the trailer, I thought, "Oh my God, I." I'm doing nothing else except watching this movie when it comes out. And it gave me everything I wanted. We'll link that in the show notes as mm-hmm. well. I also had one from, let me see, from the Standard UK. So this was written by Charlotte O'Sullivan. And she said, I'm a big fan of demonic dolls like Chucky and Annabelle, but geez, they look like stiff dum-dums next to this wickedly <laughs> nimble polymath. That's great. So yeah, I'll link that as well. The, the, it's a shorter one, but it's it's got some good stuff. There was one that said something about Allison Williams plays a strong character in this because what's needed is not a very emotional portrayal, but somebody who just does it and who does it and ha- and is done too and and leaves it at that. Yeah, she absolutely does a great job with the role. Because she really is the frame for Megan. She gives us Megan and then takes away Megan, but not completely. Do you want to move on to recommendations? Yes, let's do a, a recommendation. Oh, yeah. What do you, I mean, I know what your rating is. Oh, my God. This movie is an A. Just, it. you know what? A plus. It, it gives me everything I want. I, it has great one-liners, a beautiful... Mean girl cheerleader doll that kills mainly men and bitchy old ladies, which I'm I'm cool with. Sorry, that was derogatory, but also I ha- I cannot remember in recent history having that much fun in a movie. And that's the thing is with film, you should be entertained, and film is art, and art is subjective, but good art gets a response and. I had such a response to this movie. I, I, it wasn't, I don't think you could come out of that not enjoying it or having some kind of opinion about it. So to me, it did what it wanted to do very well. Very excited about any future sequels, maybe a TV show, maybe merchandise, maybe a bed set, a beach towel, possibly maybe a doll. But how about you? You know, I struggle because, and I guess this is splitting hairs, 
because I'm not like, oh no, this movie's a D. I definitely enjoyed it. Is it a perfect movie? No, but I think it's really well done, especially for what it is. I oh, feel absolutely. like it might be a solid B. Yeah, yeah. I think I need to clarify my A+. It's just me fully being obsessed with this movie. This is not based on any kind of, uh, what am I trying to say? Yeah, if I didn't love the movie, I would have obviously have a very different opinion. It's not a perfect movie, but it's a perfect movie for me. It, it does what it does really well. And in that case... Yeah, it's it would be an A because like it knows what it's doing. Like the one review said, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's fun. It's clever. It's creative. And honestly, I really love that it doesn't take itself too seriously because those movies are really hard to sit through. Yeah. And I'm getting and I maybe it's just at the point that I'm at in my life or what's been happening in the last couple of years. But sometimes I just want something that I can get lost in and have fun with and just have, you know, instantly iconic scenes and lines. And not everything has to be an Oscar winner. The Oscars are rigged anyways. They don't awards me nothing. If I if there was a Lacey, Megan would get one. <laughs> it might be up for one of the Chainsaw Awards at Fangoria. And you know, well-deserved, well-deserved. So what is your recommendation? So I have two. So would you like me to sandwich them between yours? I have one. Sure, go ahead. So my first recommendation goes off the horror comedy aspect, and that is Happy Death Day uh, that was released in 2017. It was written by Christopher Landon and written, no, directed by Christopher Landon, excuse me, and written and written by Scott Lobdell. It's a weird last name. Stars Jessica Roth and Israel Broussard. Uh, so this is a female-led movie. Um, unfortunately not female created, but the synopsis is a college student must relive the day of her murder over and over again in a loop that will only end when she discovers her killer's identity. And she was also killed on her birthday. So she's reliving her birthday on a college campus over and over. Super fun. Again, does not take itself seriously. Well written, well paced, just an overall fun time. I like this movie a lot. And there's already a sequel. So so my recommendation is another Allison Williams movie. It is The Perfection from 2018, directed by Richard Shepard, with a screenplay by Richard Shepard, Eric Carmelo, and Nicole Snyder. It stars Allison Williams, Logan Browning, and Steven Weber. And it is about when a troubled musical prodigy, Charlotte, seeks out Elizabeth, the new star pupil of her former school, the encounter sends both musicians down a sinister path with shocking consequences. Yeah, I didn't love this one, but not because it's not well done. It's just not my kind of movie. There's a lot of very disturbing things in it, but it's one of those movies that like... It will elicit a response. It will elicit a response and like it just... I just think about it at times it stuck with me and i think allison williams and logan browning are really good in it yeah and just for anyone listening big 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 trigger warnings please research this movie before watching because there is some very very disturbing stuff we won't get into it on the podcast but uh, make sure to give it a quick old google uh, just to make sure that it is something that is right for you yeah yeah lots of trigger warnings but yeah, and then I had one more because I had done a little research on uh, the director, Gerard Johnstone, and he actually 
wrote and directed a film in 2014 that was very well received and it looks really fun. I've never seen it. So this is kind of a recommendation for uh, our listeners and for me. I like to kind of do that because I feel like that's just like a fun thing that we can share together. And if it's great, hey, maybe we'll cover it. But it's called Housebound. Again, written and directed by Gerard Johnstone. It stars Morgana O'Reilly, Rima Te Wiata. I'm so sorry. Rima Te Wiata. Maybe that's how you say it. And Glenn Paul Waru. And the synopsis is a young woman is forced to return to her childhood home after being placed under house arrest, where she suspects that something evil may be lurking. And apparently it is also a horror comedy. It's really fun. I enjoyed it a whole bunch. Would it be pr- appropriate for us to cover or no? Yeah, I think we definitely could. Other you than the day. fact that it is written and directed by a dude. But we, yeah, we our recommendations were not, <laughs> for women, at least not great. Like everything's female-led, but all the creative and directing is done by men. So. Which sometimes it's hard to find. Rec- so with the recommendations, I... L- I'm a little looser with my criteria than with stuff that we cover on the show. Sure, of course. Um, But yeah, check those out. Check those out with us. Let us know what you think. Yes, and we're so happy to be back and we're happy for any of y'all that are back with us. Yeah, for sure. So please, um, if you've listened to the episode, let us know what you think. Give us a a rating, uh, a like, a comment, a share on all the social things. And we will see you next time. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. To keep up with us, please follow us on Twitter at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a suggestion or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemmespodcast at gmail.com. While you're at it, make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We hope you enjoyed today's episode because if you didn't, we'll find you. Thanks for listening.